This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Presents True Crime for the Short on Time. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Same thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying, bite-sized true crime case. Before we get started, as always, Olivia, it's wonderful to see you. How are you? How has your week been? Lovely to see you. My week has been good. How are you? I am doing good. You know, just making it through, researching cases, spending time with the family, we got some uh, birthday parties coming up this week for the little kid. It's going to be going to be good. Millie just got her shots because she's, you know, going to be doing the whole school thing and stuff. Mm-hmm. So got a big kid on her hand. So it's been it's been good. She's going to pre-K or kindergarten? Uh, pre-K. pre-K yeah. yeah. Yep. Not to toot my own horn or anything, but she's in a peer assistance program. So she gets to go early and she's going to be helping kids with special needs and stuff like that in class. So oh, going a little cool. bit earlier than she's supposed to, but thankfully she gets her smarts from her mom. So, <laughs> but this is a short on time week. We are short on time. Olivia, I'm short on time. I know you're short on time. Our listeners are like, ah, ah, ah just get to it. This is your week. What are we talking about this week? Well, I think my short on time is actually kind of like midway of like not quite a full episode, but not quite a short on time. My notes turned out to be a little bit longer than I anticipated, but a medium on time, a medium on time. Yeah. Hey, that works. So hopefully, hopefully everybody's got a little extra minute or two they can spare. I think they'll be just fine. I don't know. What do you say? Should we just jump on into it so we can, uh, we can get the people what they want? Yeah, let's go. All right, go for it. On April 11th, 1995, Jim and Vicki Barton started their day like any other. Jim, a 15 year police veteran went off to work. He was a Lieutenant with the Springsboro police department. Now, Springsboro is a small suburb located between Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio. The population in 1995 was about 9,200 people. And then when I looked it up today, it's about 20,000. So it's grown quite a bit in the last few years. Yeah, but I imagine in 1995, like a lot of places in Ohio, because, you know, I lived in Michigan to get to Tennessee, I'd have to drive through and a huge portion of it was just farmland. So I imagine in 95, it was 
probably a lot more of that. And I know Lauren in our Facebook group is from Ohio. Let us know. Do you know where Springsboro is? Has it always been that tiny? Now, Vicki and Jim lived in Franklin Township, which was located about 10 miles outside of Springsboro. And it was here that the couple had a horse farm with several acres. Vicki was a nursing supervisor at Sycamore Hospital and an instructor at Kettering College of Medical Arts. On April 11, 1995, a warm spring afternoon, Vicki had placed a call to her husband, Jim. She shared that a young man stopped by the house in need of gas as he had run out. Several hours later, Jim Barton would return to the couple's home, but when he walked in the door, he was left in shock. There, shot dead execution style and naked on their bedroom floor, was the body of his wife. Frantic, Jim immediately called 911. He told dispatch that his wife had been killed, saying, She's got a pillow over her head, her clothes are off, and she's not breathing. EMS arrived shortly after, and sadly, Vicky was pronounced dead on the scene. It appeared that Vicky had been shot three times once in the back of the skull and twice behind the ear with a 22 caliber, and the autopsy results would later confirm this. Vicky had also been sexually assaulted. Detectives noticed two bite marks to her breast. They quickly secured the crime scene and DNA was collected. They dusted the bedroom and four feet up the walls in the hallway looking for foreign fingerprints. However, the police found none. The house appeared to be in disarray, but no jewelry had been stolen, and Jim's gun collection had been rummaged through but none missing. And the question lingered, who would want to kill Vicki Barton? Investigators looked into the past cases that Jim Barton had worked, but unfortunately they found no leads. Now a few months after Vicki's murder, Jim moved into Springsboro City proper. And soon after, he would run into an old friend of Vicki named Mary Lynn Lacey. The pair hit it off, and Lacey and Barton would eventually marry. But unfortunately, their relationship wouldn't last. And only 17 months later, the couple would divorce. Now, the DNA was processed through the database, and to the disappointment of investigators, no match was found. Detectives would also compare the sample to their colleague Jim Barton, and he too was not a match. As detectives began to approach the one-year anniversary, they had no leads or even a clear motive. There's a lot going on with this case. You know, like, at first, I'm heartbroken that this man has come home and found his wife of years murdered and sexually assaulted on the floor. But then to meet someone and not only meet someone, but meet a friend of your deceased wife and then get married so quick, like it's throwing up flags for me. But I also don't want to be like judgmental and be like, well, you know, is this some kind of indication that he had any role in it or anything like that? So I don't know. It's just it's a lot and a little at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, and Mary Lynn, she was actually in Vicky and Jim's wedding. She was one of the bridesmaids. And it just kind of turned out like, hey, if you need to talk, I'm here for you. Give me a call. And he immediately called her. I've seen this in the past where like, I feel like some men are just very codependent and they need that support and that comfort of having a significant other or a spouse. Like, I feel like some people do really well, like being alone. And some people are like, no, like the minute that they don't have that anymore, they need to find that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people like that that are just, like you said, they're not good at being by themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and I know, I mean, in my younger days, that's something that I, I struggled with personally, you know what I mean? It was like, you, you think your value is like tied into a relationship and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and you have to learn, like, it's okay to be alone. But the other thing, too, is that, you know, I don't know how close Mary Lynn and Vicky were, so it could, you know, be a case of trauma bonding where they both lost somebody who was really important to them and they bonded over that. And that might be why it only lasted 17 months, you know, cause something like that only carries you so far. So I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. Like I said, I don't want to like, we talk about it all the time. It's a, it's always like you suspect the husband first, 
you know, but I'm also not trying to put like an unfair weight on him based on those actions alone. I'm still trying to figure out what could be going on. Right. Give him the benefit of the doubt for now. Right. Jim had seemed to move on with his life, but investigators never gave up. How could they? Someone had murdered a local police lieutenant's wife in such a small and safe community. Now, four years later, detectives would finally get a break in the case. Gary Henson, a well-known petty criminal in Springsboro, was arrested on a drug charge. While detained, he told police that he knew the details of the Barton murder, and detectives were all ears. Henson claimed that his brother, William Phelps, was involved in the murder. According to Henson, it was just supposed to be a robbery, but Phelps had brought along an accomplice and that that man was high on drugs and lost control. He sexually assaulted Vicky before shooting her three times in the head. Now, unfortunately, Phelps killed himself in July 1995, just three months after Vicky was murdered. Henson said his brother had become very paranoid. He would sleep with a gun and put traps on their windows as if he was living in fear of someone finding out. Now, police would need to exhume William Phelps' body to see if his DNA would match that found from the bite marks on Vicky. But sadly, it would not match and Phelps had never told anyone who had helped him that day. More time continued to pass, and there was still no resolution. Now, eight years after Vicki's murder, the Springsboro Cold Case Unit would reopen their investigation. Detectives went back to the beginning and started by reviewing the 911 call. On the call, you can hear Jim say, quote, They killed her. Those murdering bastards killed her. He continued to ramble throughout the call, almost as if he was talking to himself. Police wondered why would Jim say they? Could he have possibly known that there were two people involved? And another piece of the 911 call caught their attention. At some point, it appeared that Jim had said, Oh man, I have to call Phelps, man. To which you hear the dispatcher say, Please stay on the phone with me. When questioned about this, Barton claimed that he was saying that he needed to call for help. But why would he need to call for help when he was already on the line with 911? Now, on April 9th, 2004, Jim Barton was arrested for arranging a burglary for hire with Phelps. But just three days later, he was able to post bail. Now, the trial wouldn't go to court until February of 2005. And it was then that the prosecution would call Dr. Robert Fox of Ohio State University as an expert witness on acoustics and phonics. Prior to being briefed on the case, Dr. Fox broke down the 911 call into waveforms. And according to Fox, Barton's 911 call was one of the clearest tapes to understand and analyze. On the call, Jim Barton clearly stated that he needed to call Phelps and not call for help. He was also heard moving belongings around the house while on the phone with 911. Gary Henson would also testify against Barton, claiming that he paid his brother Phelps $3,000 to stage a burglary. The prosecution claimed that Jim Barton was campaigning for police chief but needed to move into the city limits. His wife was reluctant to leave their farm, so Barton staged a burglary to scare her into moving into the city but it was supposed to just be a burglary. Now, William Phelps was the one who knocked on the door that day in April 1995, but his accomplice would be the one that would assault and kill Vicky so that she would not be able to identify the men. Jim continued to claim that he knew nothing about the crime or who helped Phelps that day. However, a jury found him guilty of complicity to commit manslaughter. Jim Barton was sentenced to 15 to 50 years in prison and held at the Southeastern Correctional Institution in Lancaster, Ohio. Now, just like many of the other cases we cover, there were several appeals and denials, and Barton would eventually be taken to the U.S. Supreme Court. In April 2016, a Warren County Common Court would hold a hearing to see if Barton's case would be retried. 
But surprisingly, just three days later, on April 14, 2016, Judge Michael Gilb set the bond for Barton's release of $350,000. And on the following day, April 15, 2016, Jim Barton was released from prison. So that's my case this week. That is crazy. And there's a couple of things in the story that just really don't sit well with me. Number one, now I don't feel bad for judging him and being like, why are you moving on so quickly and stuff like that? Because obviously you played a role in this. But I think the parts that I find really unsettling are, number one, the fact that you had to try to scare your wife to move out of the country and into the city. Mm-hmm. And then number two, you set this thing up. But now it's gotten out of control. You come home, your wife's dead. Phelps, who was there, killed himself three months later. And I don't know if Barton actually knows who murdered his wife, if he knew who the other person was. So that guy is just out there walking around, you know, and that's, I think, what is so unsettling. And the fact that you could put these things into motion and then be out. And it's like there's no real consequence. That's it doesn't sit well with me at all. Yeah. And this man also ran for police chief three times. In a small town. And like he still is like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he ever knows. I don't know if he knows who the accomplice is. I don't know if we'll ever know who actually killed her or not. We don't know if William Phelps is the one that killed her or not. We're just assuming that there's an accomplice. But maybe Henson isn't really telling the truth. Maybe Henson doesn't know the whole story. Who knows? It could have been Phelps and that's why I ate him so much and he killed himself. But like, we don't know. I don't know that we'll ever know. And now he's out of jail. So he's just going to move on and do his thing. So. Yeah. I mean, it seems like. There would have had to have been an accomplice if the DNA didn't match, right? Because there was DNA from the bite marks. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he very well could have killed her. He could have been the one to shoot her. But if that DNA match wasn't a match to Phelps or Barton, to me, that indicates there would have had to have been somebody else there. Well, John, if we're talking deadbolt tests, where are you thinking? Where are you putting this one? You know, for me, I'm going to say this is probably pretty low. I'd probably put this in about a four. And it's a lot along the lines of what we talked about on Monday's episode. It's just that you never know what people are capable of. Mm -hmm. Like Vicki Barton probably had no idea whatsoever that her husband was arranging a burglary to scare her. Just to move houses, to leave their farm and move to the city. Like not even to do anything crazy. Yeah. And so, you know, she's operating same as any other day. And meanwhile, this person that, you know, is supposed to love her and care for and take care of her. Protect you. Yeah, I mean, worst case, even if she didn't die, right? Like, she's still scared and traumatized. Like, you've experienced a a burglary. You know what I mean? You feel vulnerable and you're you're signing somebody up to feel unsafe and have to process through that. And it's like, it's a terrible thing to do. Yeah. So I'm not really worried about it happening to me, but it's still just all in all, it's like something that kind of a sick person would do, you know? And so that's why I'm going to put it at a four. But what about you? Yeah, I think I'm going to put it about the about a four as well. You know, I've had a friend who lived through a burglary and, you know, it shook her up. It still shakes her up. You know, it's a scary thing to know that there were three men in your home and you had no idea, you know, just in your bathroom getting ready for work. And it's just a scary thing. You know, this was my friend that was had this happen to her. But I mean, just to have someone that's supposed to, like you said, take care of you and protect you and be there for you. And knowing that your husband is a lieutenant and is running for like police chief and like he did this to you. If your husband that's that high up in the the police force in your hometown, like if that can happen to you, it can happen to anybody. It would make the whole town feel unsteady, I would think. Yeah. And like, that's the thing, like your home is supposed to be the place where you're safe, right? right. It's supposed to be the place where you come home, you let down your hair, take your shoes off. Like it's your 
space. It's your place to be comfortable, right? And so to have somebody violate that and that have that be violated because someone you care about arrange that is just, I mean, it's just sick on a different level. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I, like I said, I can imagine like that takes some time to bounce back from, to be able to feel safe in your own space again. So even if it didn't end up in murder, I still think it's like pretty twisted that you would do something like that. Somebody you love. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, that is where we fall on the deadbolt test. Olivia and I, for the second time this week, we're coming in at a tie. We're both giving it fours, but we want to know where does the murder of Vicki Barton fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at check the locks pod. Find us on Twitter. Check the locks. We are on threads. If you're hanging out there, come find us. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out with us. We would love to get to know you, get to spend some time with you. And as always, if you are interested in supporting Check the Locks, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks. Get signed up today. We got a lot of great tiers, a lot of great benefits, exclusive stickers, t-shirts, coffee mugs, all sorts of stuff just for being a patron. Plus you get the episodes early and ad free. So if you love Check the Locks, but you hate commercials, that is the best way to listen to the show. And again, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash check the locks. Also, we just launched our brand new store. So we do have new t-shirt designs. We got tote bags. We got wine tumblers, beer glasses, stickers, notebooks, all sorts of stuff. So if you want to support what we do, but maybe don't want to you know, sign up to do something monthly, that is also a great way to support the show. And if you can't financially support the show, we definitely understand just listening and hanging out with us every week means just as much, if not more. So if that is you, you're sharing the show with your friends, your family, the people that you care about, just know that from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate it more than we can tell you. That is how we are going to continue to grow this show, to grow our audience and bring more people into our family. So again, if that is you, you're letting people know about this weird little podcast that you like, just know that we appreciate you so much. That is all that we have for this week's case, but please make sure that you're subscribed to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week with a brand new, truly terrifying, bite-sized true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week. Adios. Guten Tag.